Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, kids. Welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I'm an editor at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting across from me, as usual, although he's not juggling this time, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. In the last years of the 17th century, there was to be found among the fops and fools of the London coffee houses one rangy, gangling flitch called Ebenezer Cook, more ambitious than talented, and yet more talented than prudent, who, like his friends in folly, all of whom were supposed to be educating at Oxford or Cambridge, had found the sound of Mother English more fun to game than her sense to labor over, and so rather than applying himself to the pains of scholarship, had learned the knack of versifying and ground out choirs of couplets after the fashion of the day, a froth with Joves and Jupiters, a clang with jarring rhymes, and sting taut with similes stretched to the snapping point. Well, I think this is the first time where the quote took up two-thirds of the podcast. And we're done. <laughs> no. Today we are going to talk about casual games. Yes. Um, which is funny because, you know, you know, I grew up with, um, grandparents and, uh, parents who like doing things like crossword puzzles and, uh, you know, word search and stuff like that. And as a kid, I used to love those. And I thought, I'm sure I'm probably the only one of my friends who really enjoys doing these puzzles and games and things. You know, I, I, as I got older, I started to, uh, and, and especially when video games, uh, became sophisticated enough where they were they were common. Um, started playing things like the mahjong tile games and solitaire and stuff like that. And still, I thought, you know, I'm a big weenie because I'm not playing uh, Call know, of Duty. Call of Duty. Um, duty. Oh, um, good grief! I should have just gone with Halo. <laughs> and even that, even then, if I had gone with Halo, all the all the hardcore gamers out there would be like, oh, Halo, come on. Editor's note, we're recording this as the flip side of the day that we record the Nuclear Weapons podcast, podcast which on which we were pretty sober. So I, the fact that we're talking about gaming uh, and the fact that we were very, very staid in the first podcast, probably, we're probably going to be a little goofy. Full of beans. Anyway, um, no, as it turns out, uh, I'm hardly alone. Um, casual gaming is... Especially now that uh, there are platforms available like Facebook where millions and millions of people come together to play socially, um, casual gaming is huge. Yeah. So let's start to define some stuff, shall we? Okay. So in general, uh-huh. we tend to break up games into one of two very broad categories, each of which has subcategories within it. Yes. And this is done... I would say primarily for marketing purposes. Well, I know people who play all these kinds of games and 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 don't like being put into a box. Sure, but sure. It's more it's more for a marketing there's, thing. There's a spectrum yeah. of games out there. Sure. And, and most people, I would say, fall in the middle of the spectrum in that they like some games from one category and other games from another. There yeah. may be a few who they only like a couple of games that fall into one, and then all the rest are in the other category. And then there might be a few extremists out there who believe that the game type of games they play are the only ones worth playing. Well, you know, there's that kind of person uh, on pretty much everything. If you don't drive the car and the kind of car I drive, then you stink. Right. So anyway, those two types of games, I'm trying so hard to just get to my point here. <laughs> Sorry. Is uh, the hardcore games mm-hmm. and the casual games. Now, Hardcore games, when we talk about that, what we're really talking about is 
the level of complexity of the gameplay itself. Yeah. All right. The how deep that game goes, mm-hmm. how much time you need to dedicate to really play that game at a decent level, mm-hmm. and whether or not you can just pick up and drop off in that game casually throughout the day. The hardcore game, a really hardcore game, is one of those things where you're going to have to dedicate a good amount of time each playing session where you're not interrupting in any way and that it's not just pick up and play and that the controls themselves are really, really complex and mm-hmm. there's a there's a learning curve to really getting to know them. Uh, a good example of this is a... A typical first-person shooter on, say, the the Xbox 360 mm-hmm. that uses the controller to its full extent. Because let's let's think about the controller for a second. Okay. So with the Xbox controller, you've got the two thumbsticks, right? Both of which can also click in to act as a button. Mm-hmm. You've got four shoulder buttons, two trigger buttons, and two uh, bumper buttons. Mm-hmm. You've got the four buttons that are uh, that are in a, a diamond pattern on the uh, J- on the right side where your right thumb can touch them. Right. And you've got a direction pad as well. Right. Plus you've got the start and back buttons, which in some games also plays a part. So you've got all these different buttons, all these different, that potentially could make a game incredibly complex and intimidating for someone to learn if they're just picking up gaming for the first time. Mm-hmm. Now, let's con- contrast that with casual games. Right. Casual games have simple gameplay. It does not mean that the game itself is easy. It just means that the game mechanics are simple. Mm -hmm. So it could be a puzzle game that actually is pretty complex, but the the way you play the puzzle game is easy. Right. Then you've got uh, – it usually will allow you to play the game in just really short bursts. So whenever you have time to play, uh, you can just – Log on or you know access it. However, you're accessing this game, mm-hmm. play a little bit, and then you can pop right back out, and you're fine. You don't have to dedicate a lot of time to it. Uh, there's usually a way where you very quickly progress through the game, uh, or you very quickly unlock other elements in the game, and uh, a lot of them also have a method where they let you try the game in some format before you purchase it, or they will support the game with advertising so that, you know, they might have two different versions of the same game, Mm -hmm. right? They have one that has ads, so every so often you are subjected to an ad while you play this game, and then they might have a paid version where if you buy it, you no longer have ads in your game. Mm -hmm. So that that's, those are the typical attributes you would find in a casual game. Okay. Um, Although... We tend to say that hardcore games are more often found on consoles and are dedicated computer games, and we tend to see casual games in things like mobile platforms and social uh, social network platforms. That's not always the case. There's not a there's not a true division in platforms. After all, the Nintendo Wii, in a way, is really a a it's known mostly for its casual games, or mm-hmm. at least that that was really how. Nintendo promoted the Wii early on. Right. It was the idea this was the game console for anyone, even someone who had never really gotten into video games because the motion controller gave you the opportunity to play games in a way that was supposed to be really intuitive mm-hmm. and really simple. So there's that simple gameplay we were talking about. Even if the games themselves were pretty complex, the the barrier to entry in the game was supposed to be really low. Mm-hmm. 
So those are, that's the general difference. And most games fall somewhere between the two. There's, there, there are a few games that you could probably argue, okay, this is like the example right. of a hardcore game versus the example of a casual game. And then there are a lot of games that, you know, you might say, well, it has these attributes from a casual game, but you can't just log in and log off because if you do, you're going to lose your progress. And, you know, let's like, say Plants vs. Zombies. Yes. That's a good example. Plants vs. Zombies is a fun game. Uh, it's, it's relatively simple. It's got some great animations and great, uh, uh, gameplay to it. Uh, and it's, it's still, it's not too difficult for someone who even isn't really big into video games to get into it. My wife loves Plants vs. Zombies, but she's not a video game person. Uh, however, that being said, it's also the kind of game that if you're in the middle of a level and you jump out of it, depending on what platform you're in, you may lose your progress and have to start over. Jonathan? Yes. There's a zombie on your lawn. Well, I'll just have to go and get one of those pea shooters then. I, I hope I have enough sunflowers to generate the sun. I also play a lot of Plants vs. Zombies <laughs> on my phone and on my computer and in the browser and, you know, yeah. I'm one of those gamers that I, I like both camps. I like hardcore yeah. games and I like casual games. Yeah, yeah. Me too. Um, yeah, I, I was thinking Tetris. I mean, there's – Fantastic example of a casual game. Yep, yep. And and a lot of people find themselves unable to get the little falling uh, tet um, – you know, the little – Tetraminos out of their head when they, I used to play that so often that when I would close my eyes at night, I would see the blocks in my sleep. Yeah. Uh, Later, those became the jewels from Bejeweled. Um, You know, in contrast, you might have something like um, uh, the uh, role-playing games, vast numbers of role-playing games that could be... uh, Dungeon crawlers or shoot 'em ups or yeah, it could be like the first Fallout person series or uh, you know the um, the Neverwinter Nights type games. Baldur's Gate. Baldur's Gate. Um, I would think that the Civilization series. Very uh, complex. E- even Spore could be considered a a hardcore game because you spend hours building up your your uh, species for mm-hmm. Spore. Um, although very few people play it, I think in comparison. Um, and yeah, there, there, you know, there's, there's stuff that falls in between. Um, I think there are some, some of the Facebook type games now where the, the play on the level, as you're working on the level, is pretty easy. But then, you know, it's one in a series of things that you have to do to accomplish a larger goal. They're sort of hybrid games. Um, but yeah, as it turns out, uh, well, I mean, hi, casual games sort of have this, uh, reputation for being sort of a, a feminine thing. Uh, I know a lot of the statistics I've read sort of say that uh, it skews more toward women gamers. Yeah, like of course like, that dispels the myth that women don't play games. Like the there was one statistic I saw, and unfortunately I don't have the source with me. So, guys, when you hear me quote the statistic, remember eighty percent of all statistics that are quoted are made up on the spot. <laughs> but uh, no, there was a, a statistic uh, I saw that suggested that I think it was seventy four percent of the purchases of casual games were women. Mm-hmm. So whenever anyone was, you know, if you were to look at all the, the purchases of the casual games across the market, 74% of those consumers were female. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that, but again, I don't have that source in front of me. So take that with a grain of salt, guys. Yep, yep. Well, the, uh, it's, it's roughly 50-50 according to a, a study that I found um, uh, for MSN games. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's so it's you know not not the same. It, it's not just for breakfast anymore. They used to say about orange juice. Yeah, and I think it's uh, uh, depending on the game, it it defies uh, category. Category. It defies trying to put it in a little box. There you go. Uh, well, except you know there there are definitely kinds that are easy to to categorize, mm-hmm. like Bejeweled. Is yes. clearly a puzzle game. Oh yeah, right. Uh, so, a, a match three game, if you will. See that the, these are these subdivisions that Jonathan yes, was talking yes, about the, earlier. The, the, the subcategories of subcategories, because within casual games you can have puzzle games, and within puzzle games you have different subcategories of that. Um, but you've got other uh, kind of you know games that are are out uh, for both the computer and consoles, uh, and and online social networks, things like. You know, the Farmvilles, the Cityvilles, the Frontiervilles, Mafia Wars. Uh, these are all considered casual games because, again, they're games that you can just pop, plop into at any time. Now, I would say that traditionally speaking, like if, if you're going with the very stereotypical hardcore gamer. Yes. There is a stigma against casual games. Yeah. Uh, some hardcore gamers might say that casual games are not real games because they don't have that level of complexity that they prefer when in their gaming experience. And I can totally understand that. I mean, there's, there is something to say like, well, I don't get as much enjoyment out of that because, uh, this other game requires this level of skill that I've, I've developed over time and I, I feel like this is more rewarding. That's fine. I mean, there are other people who are going to find casual games far more rewarding than the level of frustration they would have if they were trying to pick up a hardcore game. The thing I would tell hardcore gamers is, you might think that casual games are not really, truly games. Tell that to the billionaires <laughs> who made their fortunes through casual games. Uh-huh. I mean, billions of dollars. This is a huge industry, especially because, like Chris was saying, you know, using Facebook as a platform, brilliant. As soon mm-hmm. as Facebook opened up that API and allowed people to create applications for Facebook to exist on top of Facebook, the gaming market exploded because if you've already got a potential audience of more than 800 million people, it's a no-brainer. Yeah. Well, you might be surprised then uh, to surprise find out. Me. <laughs> I'll surprise you. I bet I will, actually. Um, the the uh, CEO of Newzoo, Peter Warman, was quoted in an article I read where he was saying that um, somewhere between 76 to 93% of casual gamers play outside of Facebook. So of all those people who are playing Farmville and other games on Facebook, that's only a small fraction yeah. of the entire casual gaming audience. Well, I, I have a membership to Pogo.com. I don't use it. As often as I use some of the other sites, but uh, yeah, some some game companies have made their games available. I've seen games on um, on all sorts of different sites that I didn't realize had them, um, like the Mahjong Dimensions game. I've seen it on multiple different sites that weren't what I consider traditional gaming sites, but yeah. they they added as a sort of bonus to uh, to keep you there. Um, on the other hand, there are places like uh, uh, you know they develop their own stuff, uh, like uh, for example, Cartoon Network. Um, has games built around all their properties, and mm-hmm. it's specifically there, or for uh, you know some of the kids' show game sites. Um, you know they uh, they do that for for those properties as well. So it's not just you know the bejeweleds of the world. Well, yeah, and and then you see the games really hitting their stride with the smartphone revolution as well. Absolutely, because once smartphones became a thing, then and tablets suddenly, too. Yeah, tablets as well. I think more smartphones even than sure. tablets, mostly no, no, because. No, but- I think of the average consumer, if the average consumer also happens to have a smartphone, 
and the average consumer is running into situations where he or she has a little time on their hands waiting for stuff, like you're in line for the movie theater and the line's really long for tickets and the people yep. in front of you are just now deciding what they want to see, then, you know, you've got some time to kill. So opening up a an app on your phone and playing a little Angry Birds is might just seem like the perfect thing to do to, to occupy yourself while you're waiting to play this, as opposed to, you know, occupying yourself by trying to convince yourself not to stab the person in front of you. And they're particularly useful to DMV. Um, yeah, there's so many different doctor's <laughs> offices. I mean, any situation where you are not doing something. However, I will say this. Yes. People, if you play these social games, please don't do it in the restroom. <laughs> and if you do, please mute your phone. Oh. Because I thought, no. I thought you were not well. <laughs> anonymous person in the stall next to me because I, I did not know that pigs made that noise when they were impacted by angry birds. I, uh, and now that I know that I'm fine. I mean, okay. I mean, granted, I still am a little skeeved out that you were playing the game. I'm so embarrassed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, the, the that's, that's one of the, the hallmarks of the casual games though, right? Is that it's really accessible and that you can play it at any time. And that's one of the really attractive things about them. Yeah, and, and and this is what makes it so brilliant for people like Rovio, the publisher of Angry Birds, yeah. uh, the PopCap series that's Plants vs. Zombies, Bejeweled, uh, the Peggle. Zynga stuff, yeah. Uh, the Zynga, which is Farmville. And, yeah. um, and, and this is what all of them and many, many others have done so effectively. Half Brick also, I, I, I would throw in this camp, that does uh, Fruit Ninja. Yeah. They have hit the sweet spot because – Okay, they've they've made their games available on. Actually, they came from different directions. Um, Rovio and Halfbrick came from the smaller, uh, the the cell phone camp, smartphone camp. Mm-hmm. They made their applications available on on tablets, and then they started moving into Google Plus and Facebook. Um, Zynga and PopCap came from computers and websites and started moving their apps over to tablets and smartphones, and now. All of these guys are available on all these platforms. So you, you're eating your breakfast in the morning. Uh, you know, you're getting ready. The kids ready for school, and you get in five minutes worth of gaming activity before you you leave the house. Yeah, you're waiting on the bus. You get on your smartphone and play for another five minutes. Um, you take a break at lunchtime. Get on the tablet. And play for another five minutes. And, and it just goes on like this. You can do this. You're waiting for your co-host to find a quote from a novel. And, uh, Guilty as charged. Yeah. I have done that. Yes. Um, and, and this is brilliant. And then they go off and do uh, crazy stuff like having plushies made. I cannot tell you how many stores I have seen Angry Birds in. Heck, I, I, I saw the board game when it first came out. Yep. The I, CES 2010, maybe? Yep. Waiting on, on the kid after school. I see kids walking out with Angry Bird t-shirts on. And backpacks. Um, the, the Fruit Ninja folks at Half Brick are coming out with uh, plushy fruit and, and sensei. Plushy um, fruit. Absolutely. Look it up if you don't believe me. So but the thing is, um, they've been able to expand the platforms to make them available in more places, and they're they're cashing in on the interest around these uh, properties. So this has become a way for them to to uh, you know sustain their operations, to market themselves, and um, make a whole lot of money. Yeah, 
And uh, whole lot. When you're talking about a whole lot, I mean they're billions they're doing, yeah. of dollars so, for the whole industry. Like Zynga, when it was uh, announcing its IPO, it would have been valued at 8.9 billion with a B dollars, and yes. it, had, it had generated uh, something like 1. Uh, 1.5 billion in revenues uh, since it started in 2007. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now Zynga, when it when it first started, uh, was one of those companies that. Um, that really was a big surprise to folks because the the founder Mark Pincus mm-hmm. he had uh, he had been an entrepreneur previously mm-hmm. uh, and had had some successes and some failures. Uh, some of the failures were related to the dot com crash back in two thousand. Mm-hmm. But once Facebook was opening up that API, he saw the opportunity to jump in the social games space, mm-hmm. and he thought that people would really enjoy playing games and being able to share that experience with their friends and to. Uh, build in games that would allow people to help one another out in a in a virtual way, and so he kind of jumped on that, and he hired some really smart folks, including people like Bing Gordon, Owen Van Natta, uh, Mark Skaggs, Brian Reynolds. These guys are all really smart. Some of them are game designers. Some of them are great at uh, at leveraging social networks. Uh, Brian, Bing Gordon is the consigliere. <laughs> That's that's his term because what he what he does is he finds people that would be a really good addition to Zynga's workforce. Mm-hmm. Like he he's kind of like one of those guys who just he's fantastic at networking. Yeah. As someone who does that a lot, I can totally I can totally dig that. I do a lot of networking myself. It seems to I me I hadn't noticed. Yeah. Well, it seems to me that I more often get cool people I know opportunities with other cool people I know more than I I leverage it for myself. So I got to be more selfish. Anyway, <laughs> it's it's yeah, almost nine billion dollars in valuation, which is pretty phenomenal. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, that and that it's only been around since two thousand seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, meanwhile, PopCap, that company, I believe Electronic Arts uh, acquired PopCap. Yeah, not too long ago. So you're you're talking about these little bitty companies that people would have thought of as upstarts mm-hmm. that are. Become, that have become such big players that the really well-established huge names in gaming have taken notice and they're either you know stealing themselves for direct competition or they're acquiring them. Mm-hmm. Um, as for direct competition, that's a little tricky. Let's get back to the N- Nintendo Wii and kind of wrap this up a little bit. Okay. So consoles in general don't tend to cater to the casual market as much. You can find casual games on these consoles, mm-hmm. but the consoles themselves, one, their price point is pretty high. Mm-hmm. So that's a that can discourage a casual gamer who may not want to make that level of investment in a game mm-hmm. or in a game system. Two, the interfaces tend to be a little more complex. So again, if you first pick up an Xbox controller and you've never used one before – and you try and navigate through the menu system and try and find a game that you want to play and then learn how the game itself operates and try to coordinate all that, it can be really intimidating. Yeah. Um, so when Nintendo decided to come out with the Wii, they they were aiming at a different market. They were saying, well, why don't we go for these people who would otherwise, you know, they might like to play games, but they just find these other systems to be a little too uh, intimidating or complex or whatever. There's a barrier there. Let's remove that barrier. We're going to create this movement-based controller where the controls will be much more intuitive, and we're going to create a bunch of games that cater to that crowd. 
And, uh, and it did really, really well. When Nintendo Wii came out, it was, it outsold the Xbox 360 and it outsold the PS3. And it seemed like everyone I knew had one. Uh, the downside is that the game sales didn't really take off at the same rate. People were not buying up lots and lots of games. And whether that's because casual gamers are satisfied with a, a smaller variety of games, like just a few games is fine for them, or if they just lost interest and therefore didn't have that desire to buy that next title the way hardcore gamers do. Because mm-hmm. one of the, the byproducts of hardcore gamers is loyalty. They tend to build up brand loyalty and they will be very vocal about it. And yes. to the point where if you express an interest in a game that they think of as a competitor, they will tell you you are stupid for liking that game because yes. that game is not the game they like. <laughs> that's – never mind. Yeah, um, it happens a lot. But well, anyway, that's – you know, I don't know if that's the reason why Nintendo Wii sales, like the game sales didn't – or some people might just say that there was a lack of compelling games on the market. Well, if you if you step back from it and, and you aren't calling someone else – Silly for not having the system that you have, and and look at them sort of across the board. There were there were a couple things going on at play there. Um, one of which is if you look at it um, with the Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3, I would argue that both Sony and Microsoft were aiming for the core gamers. Um, you know, we're talking about a war of processors and a war of um, high definition and things like and that. Licenses and licenses. Um, the the very serious. Um, uh, in depth games, they were they were uh, serious gamers that were they were targeting, and they said oh, we're really going to hit this market. And people scoffed at the Wii because they said, "Ah, oh, this is it's not even high def. It's just it's made from off the shelf parts. Who cares? Nobody's going to this little Wii remote. Nobody's going to care." And it turns out that that kind of gameplay hit um, the sweet spot for a lot of people who just didn't see themselves buying that. So plus the cost. I mean, talking about the PlayStation 3 versus the cost of the Wii when it came out, these were differences. But I think more than anything, it was the kind of gaming involved. And, you know, there weren't a lot of games at that time that I think um, hit the casual gamers for either the PlayStation 3 or the the Xbox 360 when the Wii came out. They just – they weren't aiming for that market. Of course, now they are. You've got motion controllers that connect and uh, the PlayStation Move yeah. and they are selling. Of course, people are using the Kinect and hacking it to do all sorts I, of other cool I've stuff I've actually too. heard recently – and by recently, I mean uh, this we're, – we're recording this in the beginning of March 2012. Uh, yes. It's March 9th right now, the day we're recording this. Behind the curtain. Um, I heard recently that Microsoft is actually trying to move away from the the idea that the Kinect is a casual gamer gateway into the Xbox. I think mm-hmm. what what they're trying to do is try to make it more of a key element in some of their hardcore games mm-hmm. to try and add value to those because I think uh, that's that it that one of the problems, one of the challenges of going after that casual gamer market is that. Because they don't really think like hardcore gamers, you can sell them on a game once, mm-hmm. but then selling them on a second game is a lot more challenging. And therefore, if you're gonna if you're gonna put a lot of effort into selling games, you might want to try and go for the audience that is shown historically to be interested in buying lots of games, and to you know the the audience that buys games occasionally. Well, then you don't you know it's not that you ignore them, you just don't 
dedicate a lot of uh, resources to catering to them. Yeah. Well, it's an issue of perception. Um, the Wii has a perception that it is a less sophisticated machine that has more casual games. Yeah. That doesn't mean it can't be used to play more sophisticated, more in-depth games, but that's the the reputation it has. And the Kinect uh, did bring a lot of casual gamers on board for the Xbox 360, but it got a reputation for being a, a uh, enabler tool for casual gamers to get on on the platform when the tool itself can be used for a variety of different kinds sure. of games. Um, same, same thing with the Sony move. Like sure. you were saying, yeah, once, once the motion control, I think, again, because you're taking away that, el- that element of uh, complexity with a controller that has 11 buttons total when you add them all up, um, once you take that out, then, yeah, I can see where that would uh, – uh, some people would, would – equate that with it being a simple system, mm-hmm. um, although it's not necessarily so. We should also point out one other thing that does tend to – that I think people associate with casual games versus hardcore games is subject matter. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people assume that if it's a casual game, the subject matter is kind of light and and inconsequential. I mean, Fruit Ninja, good example, right? Yeah, you're just hacking fruit apart. Yeah, whereas if you're talking about a hardcore game, you might be talking about something like Grand Theft Auto, where you're talking about some adult themes and some pretty uh, intense uh, scenes in the game. But moral issues. Moral issues, yeah. But that's, you know, really the, that's content, and content is sort of agnostic when it comes to casual versus hardcore. Yeah. You could have a casual game that has some pretty heavy concepts in it and mm-hmm. it's nothing you know there's nothing stopping that so uh, that's one thing i wanted to address um that's pretty much all i have about casual games right now i mean it's it, it'll be interesting to see in maybe five years if casual games like you know which ones are still popular or are there is it just a totally new batch of casual games that are popular uh, or are people just satisfied with buying angry birds and playing that for the rest of their lives well, the the question for me is too that is whether people will make the distinction between hardcore and casual games anymore and just start calling them games, and then from there break it down. Um, it, it seems that we're still sort of in an, uh, living in an us versus them world, although less maybe than a couple of years ago. Um, well, it's all because them stupid, apparently. Yeah. All right. Spoken like one of them. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so I guess that wraps up our discussion <laughs> on casual games. If you guys have any topics you would like us to tackle, whether it's a technology, uh, if it's a trend in technology, if it's an innovator, uh, if there's a, an interview you want us to do, remember, we're going to try and do more of those this year, too. Send us a message. You can email us at textup at discovery.com, or you can send us a message via Facebook or Twitter. Our handle at both of those is techstuffh. SW. And Chris and I will talk to you again really soon. Ooh, ooh, it's time to harvest my corn. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join House of Work staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. The House of Work's iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?